This week's episode is brought to you by the 3-2 final score, which happened three times this week, too. Safe to say this top line is the best in the league? Yeah, we are. Oh, Captain! My Captain! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're logged into Burgundy Radio for March 2nd, 2020. Coming up on the show, the Colorado Avalanche are on a seven-game win streak. It's a good week for Martin Kaut, and I asked the big question, how did Nashville get so bad? But before we put the loose, you need to know who I'm asking that question. Say hello to Earl. Hello, friends. And say hello to Jackie. Greetings. And say hello to the loose. As we record today, Colorado sit comfortably second in the Central Division with 85 points. St. Louis lead the way with 88 in two more games played, and Dallas are third still with 81 in one more game played. Then Vegas lead the Pacific with 80. They've had a strong few weeks, followed by Edmonton and Vancouver. Seventh through 11th in the conference are all within two points of each other, which includes Calgary, Arizona, and the rest of the Central, except Chicago. Chicago and the California teams are all but eliminated. Out East, nobody outside the playoffs would be first in the Pacific anymore. Boston has suddenly run away with the President's Trophy race. And while you'd never guess it from listening to their fans, the Leafs are third in the Atlantic with a five-point lead on fourth. The Atlantic division spans from 90-something for Boston to 30-something for Detroit. It's, uh, It's a mess over there. And I'm not sure who plays tonight. I meant to look, and I did not. Show prep. Anyway, the Avs had three games this week, and they played them in a four-day span for the second time in two weeks, because the NHL scheduler is an asshole. They'll do it again next week, too. On Wednesday, Avs win 3-2 over the Buffalo Sabres. Power play goals for Gabe Landeskog and Martin Kaut, his first NHL goal. Well done there. JT Comfort added the game winner midway through the third. I had to watch the five-minute recap to remember this game at all, frankly. Even that didn't really help. Who can do better? Um... I, you know, I, I think Count's I goal the is goals. the only thing that really stood out <laughs> as far as things I needed to remember. I mean, Confer's goal was, you know, a great emotional moment, but. I think this was the first game that Jost looked alive again. And probably no coincidence that it was after the trade deadline. He probably breathed a little sigh of relief. And then. Let's back up on that because. <laughs> Because Sakic and both Sakic and Bednar said that he's been playing well for a few weeks and just hasn't had the scoring to show for it, which you know obviously that's the case. Yeah, I agree with um, that. It's interesting that he qualified a few weeks. They they both did, which kind of begs yeah. the question: What did you think of his play prior to a few weeks? I mean, Bednar kind of touched on that in in what he you know in what he said was true of the last few weeks, you know, the competitiveness, um, you know, the being tougher on pucks and everything like that, sort of implying that maybe he wasn't that beforehand or, or right. that as much. I still um, don't think he's the strongest on the puck or on the boards, but he certainly was a lot more effective this week. And I think yeah. maybe that's what you take out of the Buffalo game. Other than Kout's first goal, first goal, which was awesome, but I'm sure we'll get more into him later. Yeah, because I think when Bednar was asked about Jost after the Carolina game, he mentioned the Buffalo game, like saying that he could have had three goals in that game too. He could have. He was good. 
And yeah. that's, oh, that's the one where they called back the tipped goal, which is just right. cruel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the Buffalo game, the I think the main takeaway from it, other than Cal's first NHL goal, was that this was JT Comfer's good game of the month. <laughs> I could see that. Because <laughs> his, his game winner was him being in the right spot and that being, you know, hanging out in the low slot with a wide open net. And then his he had an assist on Gabe Landeskog's power play goal that was kind of accidentally on purpose. Where he tried to make a power move and just kind of lost track of the puck straight to Landeskog, who scored it. <laughs> um, but he was generally good. He was, you know, giving himself chances to do good things and sometimes succeeding. Yeah, I haven't hated Comfer as much this week as I have in in sort of the, the previous month or two. It's interesting because he he is having good moments on that second line, if you even want to call that at this point. But he's still not ideally who you'd want in that role yeah i mean but they've made it work. when you're missing the kind of guys they are you're you're gonna be settling in some aspect and i, I think it could it could be worse you it know, definitely it's nice could. that he's kind of picked up some slack you know he's he's if he if he had gone into this sort of post cadre injury situation and and been sort of floaty like he was beforehand it could have been some big trouble and i think that was the game where buffalo's always had some talent with eichel and darlene was in this game and skinner whatever the hell's wrong with him but <laughs> the abs just looked so far ahead of buffalo even though it was close like buffalo played well yeah, They've they been did. playing hard lately, and they played well in this game. So it was not easy by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, at the end it, of the was... day, you could see what the difference in talent was, even with who the Abs are missing. Well, I think it was a stark contrast to the the game in Buffalo a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, they weren't competitive in that game. So right, and it, and it wasn't just Wayne Simmons. <laughs> you never know that leadership, that character, that Chris. Yeah, Wayne Simmons uh, brought a lot to that game. He he hit Ian Cole. Um, he did, and and he hit Ian Cole again on the same. He shift. hit McCarr too. Oh wait, no, he didn't. <laughs> he missed. <laughs> um, no, I th you know just talking about Buffalo for a second. I don't really follow them that much, but. I think what management did is is they've they've messed up a lot of things with that team, and it did look kind of dumb buying at the deadline. But you know, if the if the kind of game they played against the Avs is the result of showing a little confidence in the guys they have, then you know maybe that was a smart move. Sure, you get in the argument: what's a fifth worth, and what's leadership and character worth? That. But yeah, if it helps them end the season on a stronger note, I guess it's a, it, at least it's a small price to pay. It wasn't a total Patrick Waugh era delusional buy. Yeah, I mean they they didn't sell and they picked up a trinket and you know I I, I mean I think it's obviously I think there were eight points back of a playoff spot going into the Colorado game. I mean that's you know that's not going to happen so. You know, maybe it does, but, <clears throat> um, you know, just showing the confidence, like, all right, you know, y you guys can do some good things. Let's see what you can do with the last 20 games. You know, that, that might be the start of fixing whatever is wrong there. 
Well, maybe. I don't know. Because, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it, It's been a long time. It, it, yeah, it, they sure haven't been able to fix it. So Yeah, in more competitive news, on Friday, Colorado head east for part one of a back-to-back in Carolina, where one Tyson Jost breaks the scoring drought and gets a pair on route to another 3-2 win. Sam Gerrard with the dramatic game winner. And boy, Gabe Landeskog did a ton of work on that goal. Kinda yeah, like, he did. Kind of like how Kale McCarr did a ton of work on Joe's second. It's a good night for primary assists here. Carolina got 47 shots on goal, like they always do against the Avs, and Pavel Franceau stopped 45 of them. This was a fun game, but strange one, too. Filled with random injuries to players who came back into the game. Belmar's skate goes in a rut. Dezingle tries to cut in front of Zadorov and loses his footing into the boards. Kamenev gets absolutely plastered, and honestly, the way his head bounced off the ice, I'm surprised the concussion spotters didn't get him off the bench. But anyway... Tyson Jost, Paolo Francois, great goal by Sam to win it. Yeah, I think one of the main things I took from this game is the Avs started well, and then there was that run that Carolina went on that I think I think they went on. It was like a nineteen to one shot run, maybe a twenty to one shot run, um, and the Avs just could not get out of their zone. It was very frustrating. They weren't giving up a lot of quality chances or anything, but. You're, you're you're just sitting there like, please, you know, <laughs> change something, make an adjustment, get the puck out of the zone without icing it. It doesn't take a lot of quality chances when you're getting that many chances. Yeah. <laughs> as, as we saw. Right. They were dancing on the train tracks there. I mean, it was just not, not crisp. Well, this game was fun for me because I was at it. Little, little hockey vacation, so... Uh, and I like Carolina, so this was uh, a pretty fun experience for me. But the game, specifically, I would say that Carolina plays a style that's hard for the Avs to play against. So it wasn't surprising that they ended up getting stuck, that they have trouble with their forecheck, they have trouble breaking the puck out because Carolina is so good defensively, but the abs were able to get on runs at certain times. And a lot of the fans were frustrated that the Canes weren't being physical enough. They weren't able to stop them. So I think at times the abs speed takes over and I don't think any team can really completely contain that. Getting to lose the lead in the second or in the third period, the two goals. And, of course, the dramatic Sam Gerard winner was awesome. Oh, yeah. Best game winner I've seen live in a long time, probably. But, um, well, this is another game that's frustrating while you're watching it, but it lives on in your memory much better because of the way that they were able to get the goal, get the win, and... And then, of course, Joe's getting the two goals, which was such a redemption arc for him. And the celebration, the team, like after he scored the first one, just the celebration. It, everyone knew how important it was. Like, everyone on the ice, I mean. Just the hug and the... You could just feel it. You could feel, like, how big of a celebration it was for them. Yeah, and lots of guys mentioned it in the, the postgame, too. Um... So it's 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 really cool to see that you know the guys are aware when it, when a teammate's struggling like that and and how much it means to to break a slump. This was um 
This was a game where I think it was a little bit easier to tell that the abs are banged up. Um, probably because Carolina is the best team they played this week. But like just in general, you could you could see that there were more holes in in the Avalanche game in this one where like they had that stretch where they couldn't get anywhere out of the zone. Um, their their top line struggles to really accomplish much because it's you can key in on them. There's not a whole lot of weapons, and nobody is expecting Tyson Joes to do that. Um, but he did, so whatever. Um, it's just one of those games where I, it was pretty clear that the Avalanche were missing things. Yeah, one thing that one thing I wonder about is the Avs are very good in the neutral zone forward. They're very good in transition, and they're very good defending in the neutral zone. But you know, we we go back to the they struggle a lot in static situations, both in the offensive zone and in the defensive zone. And I think finding a way to get their defensive zone game so that they can use their neutral zone game is you know that that's sort of a hurdle they need to to overcome right now because it, it seems that once teams get them trapped in their zone a little bit, they can they they tend to get trapped there for a little while. Yeah, that's definitely the next level of them figuring out. I think they have such good... They have the foundation, they have the pieces, but I think their execution, their system, their strategy needs to take a step for them to really contend for the cup or contend for a long time. Yeah, because in the, in the, in the playoffs, it's going to be even harder to go from breakout to neutral zone offensive system. And, you know, that A to B is probably the, the biggest hurdle they're going to have to figure out um, to, to go a long ways in the playoffs. Um, because I, I, I don't really worry about their scoring. Um, I mean, if they're as banged up as they are now, it's it's academic. They're not going to go that far. Um, but if they do have most of those guys back during the playoffs, it's it's probably you know they'll probably be able to outclass anyone they play offensively. So that's not a big concern. I mean, the the big concern for me has to be how do you take what you've got defensively and get it so your transition game works. Because as everybody knows, in the playoffs, slashing is legal, hooking is legal, interference is definitely legal, and charging is probably legal. <laughs> and even Pretty if much. they weren't, putting the abs on the power play isn't a big boon anyway. So. No. <laughs> Especially not right now. Can we just talk about that right now? As soon as Miko Rantanen goes away, the power play looks like ass. Yeah. Like the whole yeah. You saw the chart play. from last night. But like even with Burakovsky, like... the whole power play just without Miko Rantanen can't accomplish anything. Yeah, the, the the shot chart from last night. You looked at Makar; he had three shots from the point, all within a circle. And I know it's not as accurate as we'd like, but you know they were all basically from the same area. But it's sad that and McKinnon had see. four from basically the same area, <laughs> and that was all that they did. And That's you're looking at, like, how hard could that be to defend? I mean, who wouldn't know exactly what's going to happen there? That's why I like the way Micah does that, because he uses, like, kind of big shapes, so it's not that precise. Right. Like, it's a big circle. Like, okay, it, so it's from somewhere in that area. That's probably accurate. On, uh, on yeah. like, like, natural stat tricks, viz that they do, where it's just, like, a small little spot. No, 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 no. No, 
nope. That there's no way. <laughs> and then yeah. and then when you play a team that has a video coach, that's that's like trouble, right? Yeah, and I I will say that you know despite that despite that being the result that we see on paper after the game. You know, there were some moments of creativity, you know, like Mac trying to pass to a triple-covered Jost in the center, which never works, and things like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's different. You know, it didn't work, but it's like, oh, they thought of something new to try, and, and it didn't work, but, you know, at least it's new. Because what worked well, on the power play against Buffalo was coming from behind the net into the low slot. Yeah, and, and we like that. You're under the <laughs> Um, what, and that's what works with, with Ranson in, in the power play too, is he, if it's not the cross ice pass, it's when he slides in behind the net and makes something happen. I, right. I love Miko creating for there. He, when he plays for team Finland, he runs the power play from behind the net. So I have no idea why Maybe that. we should hire team Finland's power play coach. <laughs> why that <laughs> something that they try to utilize more and. One play I liked on the power play was, I don't know exactly what you would call it, but it was the Landy to Comfort down low, and yeah. then with the rebound. That was uh, some new sort of thinking there that seemed to be effective. Yeah, and they tried that a lot this week, actually. Like, passing to Comfort, who's sitting in front of the goalie, and he tries to do a 180 spin and shoot. And, you know, it wasn't lar- it wasn't hugely effective, but you could see that Again, it's something new, and that it did sort of create some chaos in front of the net in a different kind of way, rather than just shooting it from ninety yards away and, and, and hoping people crash the net at the right way. Right, and that's what Landeskog was able to capitalize on. Yeah. Is this where we talk about Cout's main power play to look decent? Sure, because he can. He plays very well along the boards, so he's good at maintaining possession, and he can usually get it back up to the point. Or he's made a few really nice cross-ice passes, either back to the point. So, it's no... And then the goal that he scored was was it off his own dump-in, So, which that was different. Like, did they just not tell him about the drop pass, or <laughs> they just... <laughs> Or after it worked the first time, like he just takes the puck and he just carries it in. Or on on his first goal, he dumped it in, retrieved it, passed it to someone, then got in the slot and and then put home a rebound. It's like, yeah, that's how the power play is supposed to work. It's it's like they didn't have time to tell him how to be terrible on it. But but anyway, I do legitimately think the way that he can play on the boards and hold the puck and make a play with it has help that second unit. Yeah, because the second unit does things that the first unit does. Um, and we saw this... Um, I can't remember even if it was last year or the year before. I, th- I think it was last season in the fall when the second unit was extremely effective while the first unit was not. Um, yeah, the, the second, second unit... unit ten- a ridiculous shooting <clears throat> percentage bender. Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, you know, you create some luck on your own by, by doing things that are, you know, totally different than what the first guys try. Um, you know, and you're also playing against the, the second penalty killers and, and things like that. So, you know, you should have a, you should have a reasonable chance at success. Um, 
but it just I see you know especially with with Sam running that unit you know he's he's a he's a point guard more than a car is and so he's you know he's not really looking to shoot what he's looking for is ways to exploit flaws in the defense uh, with his passing ability and I just I, I think when you're at the point that's a lot better use of the point guy I've yeah, I've said for years that Sam is what you if you could build a power play quarterback, that's who you would make. You'd make a Sam. Yeah. So and everyone says, Oh, he doesn't have a point shot, and you're just like, That's good. It's Don't shoot from the point. <laughs> it's not two thousand. <laughs> yeah. And you know? so it's a shame when the second unit is just a throwaway because then you're also throwing away what he could do on the power play. So I obviously, I like seeing Cout have success. I like seeing a, a second unit have a purpose. And I also like seeing that Sam can show that he can drive a power play unit. I've, I know I've said it 3,000 times on this podcast. It's insane to me why they don't try Sam quarterback the top unit and McCarr is a shooter, especially, especially when you don't have Miko. Because you're already degrading the talent that you can put out on that unit to begin with. But, you know, whatever. We've said it a thousand times and they're still not going to do it, so... The problem with that idea is they don't use the point like that. If they they use the point to try to, to go back and forth between, you know, the point and the wall and one of the two ends up getting a shot somewhere and Sam Gerard's shot from up high is not exactly terrifying... Um, but really neither is Kale McCars, <laughs> which I, uh, I saw Earl talking to somebody today about how the way they use the point just really nerfs Kale McCars' ability to, you know, be effective. Right, that's, that's why he should, he should be in the, he should be the high man on the right side. He likes to shoot from the right side, and that's where he's the most effective. And you use him as a shooter, which is using his talents so much more. Yeah, when he was at UMass, he was not the power play quarterback in his sophomore season. He was basically, he was more of that shooter role. Um, and his partner was the sort of distributor. And I, I think that McCarr showed up and they're like, look at all this offensive talent. You know, he's got to be a power play quarterback, right? And that's just, I, I just don't think that's who he is. I don't think he's a guy that stands at the middle of the point and distributes. I, I think that he's very focused on creating scoring chances down low. And when he's 60 feet away, I, I just don't think that, that you're using much of what he can do on the ice. So the problem is putting the both of them out means that your second power play defender is Eric Johnson or Ryan Graves. And I don't think anybody really wants that, <clears throat> but yeah, at this uh, point, it, yeah. I, I mean, it's not a. There's not a solution to this right now. With, and I don't. The solution is changing the power play coach and bringing Bo and Byram in, because then you have lots of options. So what the reality? It's a next is, year thing for me right now. Is there so many forwards hurt that your first power play is already so limited that why not? <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's different, and it might not work. So let's just do the same thing. Yeah, change. And sometimes, 
sometimes my car's <laughs> out there for the whole two minutes anyway. So I think <laughs> right. you put them together on the first unit and then you pick one of them to stay out with the second unit. I, I think they could be okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk more about uh, Martin Kaut soon. But first, the Avs had another 3-2 win this week. The very next day. The Avs are in Nashville, and they start Francois again. So here's the adversity list for this game. Grubauer has an Ian Cole's ass injury, so the backup is getting a back-to-back start. Ranton and shoulder is bad. Burakovsky is out with a general shrug injury. Nazem Kadri's ankle no, is still bad. They said it's LBI now. They can't make up their mind. He was sick, he had a shoulder, he had a nice lower body... It, Nobody knows. I, th- I think sh- I think Shrug's pretty fair there. So Naz- yeah. So Nazem Kadri's ankle is still dead. Matt Calvert's leg is still not right. Kamenev was held out of this one. Officially a healthy scratch, but was he? Logan Connor mm. got sent back to the AHL between games and then called back up. So he did draw into the lineup on a fourth line that featured left winger Mark Barbario. But the Avalanche do not care. They win 3-2 anyway with goals from Gabe Landeskog and again Martin Kaut. And Eric Johnson gets the 200-foot goal empty net prayer to go in. 200-foot goal. What? Why did I even say the word goal in that sentence? It doesn't belong there. Whatever. <laughs> Kelly it, was point. it was a 300 point. It was a 300 point. Well done there. Kelly Yarncroke scores with 1.7 seconds left when nobody cared anymore, making this one look a little closer on the scoreboard than it deserved to. Yeah. I mean, I'd, <clears throat> I think one of the focuses of this segment is to talk about how bad nashville is yeah because in years past nashville would have put up a brazil in that situation what's going on yeah it's interesting because we hadn't at least i haven't seen them and they hadn't played the abs since early november so they beat them nine to four (laughs) i mean (laughs) and then they were bad they've been playing better lately they're in the playoff mix yeah they're in wild card two today so so they've rebounded a bit but it is interesting to see because like you said they used to be such a tough matchup for the Avs and it yeah, just looked I, like the Avs were on a different level even they looked tired in this one <clears throat> I think everyone looked exhausted and they still managed to pull it out with half a team with Barbario playing as a winger so Minnesota do play later tonight so if you go and look at the standings and Nashville's not in a playoff spot in the, in the anymore do not at me <laughs> they were when we talked. Yeah, I, th- I, I think the thing about Nashville is that there's nothing that they do well enough anymore to scare you. Like, for years it was their defense, and they just sort of got by with a bunch of forwards that could create a little chaos in front, take the goalie's eyes away, or maybe slap home a rebound or a Royal Road pass. And now they don't have the defense that as it was, and their forward core is, is pretty similar as far as just sort of being a bunch of guys. And that's tough when you've you know, you've laid out Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson and signed Matt Duchesne to a large contract, and you've gotten Avs legend Kyle Turris in a big trade for Sam Gerrard and, and other things. Um, is this the cautionary tale where you can end your window because you keep trying to chase adding these pieces and they've given too much away. Well, and, and it's tough because it seems like their identity's gone. And that's, that's kind of the main thing I took from last night. Like their identity has always been their defense. And it's like, you know, they still have three of their big guys and it just, it, 
I don't know why, but their defense didn't scare me either offensively or defensively. And I think without that identity, it's it's really tough for them to sort of be functional in a a playoff contending way. It's always been defense and goaltending over there as well. Um, and and their goaltending is just not really threatening either. Like it's, yeah, I mean, Soros played pretty well. I mean, that that game could have been five to two, or, or you know, I mean, he played a good game. He stopped a lot of good chances. Their offense is not threatening at all. No, not at all. Um, which, which again is really frustrating because they brought in Ryan Johansson to be the guy. They signed Matt Duchesne to be the guy, and, and there is no the guy over there. They've given Rocco Grimaldi two years or two million for two years because he's had that big of a role, and that that's not the sign of a good forward core. <laughs> yeah, Rocco's pretty good. I mean, Rocco's better than we give him credit for, but yeah. It it's still an indicator that your forward talent's pretty pathetic. Yeah, and for years they had a really good farm system, and you know, again, their their AHL club is one of the better ones in the in the league. But it just feels it, like they've given away too much. Yeah. Like, just imagine if Sam was on that team last night, and you know, instead of Kyle Turris. <laughs> <laughs> it pains me. It pains me. But yeah, that that trade was such a loss for them. Honestly, I think maybe they lost that trade more than Ottawa did. They may have. Um, but my my favorite part of that game was when Avalanche legend Kyle Turris kind of was getting into it in front of the net with Avalanche le- legend Vladimir Mesnikov. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, the reason that we've we've kind of dove into what happened to Nashville um, and why didn't Colton Sissons get his hat trick against the Avalanche like he always does is this was a pretty nothing game. Um, Colorado were very obviously gassed and Nashville were still not really able to do anything with it. And the the, the highlights are pretty much all that happened in the game that's worth even talking about. I mean, there's the, there's the goal that was goaltender interference, but that, that's about it. Yeah. And I remember at the beginning of the year, everyone's like, oh, Nashville's going to be really good again. I mean, why wouldn't they be? And I, I was really skeptical of that. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's turned out to be true that, you know, they, they, they might have missed their window. Which is helpful for the Avs. I think the fewer teams to really crawl over every year, the better. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's. I mean, the Avs are one of the teams that people are going to be trying to crawl over now. Yeah, very true. What I'll remember from this game is just, just more of the BS about how it's so difficult for them to just say what the lineup is. It's like <laughs> people, people just don't even believe it. Like, was Kamenev really injured? Yes. No. Maybe not. They won't even say... I mean, they send O'Connor down, they call him back up. You know that's because something happened. And not just because they were like, oh, we changed our mind, or whatever. And then, like, you can't believe what the Avs say, because you can't even figure out what's wrong with Burakovsky. And then, the reporters that travel with the team, they can't even get information correct. So... Well, they're too busy asking questions, like, are you only winning because the teams you're playing suck? 
<laughs> it's like nobody can just watch warm-ups. Like I had to watch on the TV. I think Kamenev warmed up, which is why I believe it wasn't a fake injury or whatever, or an injury they're hiding. But who knows? Nobody can just watch warm-up and say such and such is not on the ice. It's not hard. I don't know why it's so hard. And then you have McNabb and everyone's sitting up there yapping about the game as warm-ups going on behind them. And you can't even acknowledge who is or isn't there. I mean, it's just basic information. I don't know why it's so difficult. Just say who is in the game and who isn't. So did Burkowski warm up or was he just never going to play last night? I, I don't know. I yeah. I don't think I saw him. I was trying to look for five different guys, but, you know, I was only watching on the TV. And Carolina, O'Connor warmed up, so he was definitely there still. And everyone warmed up. But who knows? It's just, it's crazy that we have to have these tinfoil theories about who could play in the game. Other teams would I be think... like, hey, this player suffered this specific injury <laughs> and they used to be back in four to six weeks. On their official yeah, like, Twitter account. What a world. Like some teams, some teams don't have morning skate and their coach will give them the lineup. It's, it's really not difficult. Yeah. And I, so, you know, Jared Bednar does not like to parse out information. And that's, that's just the way he is. And in the so playoffs, that, that's, that's part valuable. of it. A match yeah. made in heaven with Martino then because he doesn't want anyone giving out information. So they just decide nobody gets information. So, yeah, and I mean, like Patrick Waugh, for all that he did that was bad, he tried to be more open about things with the fans and, and you know just the public in general, and that's just gradually gone away now. And it's it's it is frustrating as a fan, you know. I mean, you, you do want to know these things. You don't want to be surprised five minutes into the game, like, oh my God, Mark Barbario is playing wing. This is nuts. Why didn't someone talk about this? Oh, I'm, <laughs> not even the fans. Mark Mosier seemed like he learned about it on, as the game yeah. was going. <laughs> like, because they were counting defenders on the ice in the booth. Oh, geez, I know, and it's like, it, it's harder for them to do their jobs, and, you know, they need help as much as possible. Uh, but it's harder for them to do their jobs when they're just, have... No clue about who's going to play or where or anything like that. You know, and I, mean, I actually like... think the Barbario for Kamenev thing was like the first part of the plan. I don't even think that happened because Burakovsky was out. I think they were going to do that anyway, and it was O'Connor came in because Burakovsky was out. It might, yeah, it might have been. But I mean, you watch other teams' pre games, and it's like the the lineup. And the lines are things they talk about in the pregame, and you never hear that out altitude. Now, altitude has um, to tell you that they think, with, with their galaxy brain, that Toronto is going to get involved in this game. <laughs> yeah, what was that about? That was the weirdest thing too. Like, we're going to have a goal. We're going to have a controversial call. It's like, why would anybody be excited about that? <laughs> That's like the worst thing. It's yeah. strange. It's it's really strange stuff like that i don't understand it it all makes a lot more sense when you accept that information is nowhere in altitude's mission statement yeah so then it leaves us up to having to like zap rooter everything and Pretty it's much. sad well and again with the, the whole controversy with trying to get the 
the final pieces, I guess it's Comcast and Dish to carry their station. You know, this could be things that 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 make people want to watch more. You know, maybe not a lot more people will watch, but it, it's just it, it makes people who do watch feel better about it, feel more informed, and all that. And you know, it's just it's really tough to be a fan when when that's all you get. But yeah. Anyway, um, I, again, we're we're talking about the uh, bizarre focus that Altitude has on you know just trying to have fun at all costs and just like make everybody be more enthusiastic fans instead of you know telling you hey here's what you're what might be happening in this game tonight here's the team that they're playing let's learn about them a little bit um, and you can have fun with that too it's, it's pretty easy but it's, yeah it's like <laughs> you can have that 50 50 balance between you know like actual game prep and you know doing it in a fun way but it's it's zero one hundred over there on altitude. I don't know. Um, there's there's definitely value in the playoffs with being cagey about your information because in the regular season, I mean, like a a team's prep for a game is like Here, here's how we want to play our game against this team, and here's what to watch out for with them. You're not gonna sit there and make a whole game plan for a for a Friday night game in Carolina in February. Right. So, I mean, there, there's really no value in putting out projected ri- lineups every afternoon that are wrong 100% of the time. <laughs> or that they don't do it, and then they think it's sneaky that they're going to drop the lineup at 7.05. It's like, come on, guys, get a life. Seriously. <laughs> and- as soon as the puck drops, we're allowed to tweet the lineup. <laughs> 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 and, and then when they do put out those lineups and people are like, oh, I can't believe they haven't changed anything from last game. It's like, that's because that's the last game's lineup and this is wrong like it is every day. <laughs> they, these aren't memes. This is what they do. <laughs> anyway, again, we're talking about all this stuff because the game was just not, not that interesting. It, yeah, it was a clearly a back-to-back. They were tired. They did what they needed to, to do to take care of business. And of course... Seeing Kaut score again is very cool. Yeah, let's talk about Martin Kaut. Welcome to the National Hockey League, and it's really tough to argue that you should go back to the A because this guy belongs. Yeah, it's so it's just so good to see because I really felt like his game was ready, and it's sad that so much of people's opinions are wrapped around what they see in the box scores and. It's just so funny to me that it's all this, people are supposed to know that it's not just all about points and headli- and Twitter headlines, but it, it is, and I'm just glad that he got the chance. It took three guys going down, but they finally did the right thing, and they're playing him, and he's having success, and it really is a hockey miracle. It took three guys yeah, going down and TJ Tynan looking very clearly over his head. <laughs> they, they tried. Right. Like, he wasn't even the first guy. If three guys hadn't gone down, maybe he never even gets the call-up this year. And to just think that even in six games, just what you can project from him into the future and what he can do in the NHL is such a difference from what a lot of people thought about him even two weeks ago. It's just why it's so important to get these games. It's like monumentally important. 
Well, one thing that I took from uh, Bednar's presser the day after uh, the deadline is he went into you know a, a good discussion on his relationship with Greg Cronin, and you know of course Cronin was not around for the first year uh, training camp, so they never got to know each other last year. So it's the you know, they they just didn't have a rapport, and they got to know each other at the beginning of this year's camp. And he basically was saying that you know now he knows where Cronin's coming from. He has a point of reference with it, and Bednar is very trust oriented. And I think he now trusts what he's getting from the AHL guys. So you know, with the recommendations that Cronin made, he put Cal into a role that was you know that was great for him. You know, on a wing with Belmare, you know, a nice veteran guy and a, you know, a not incredibly difficult defensive type role. And, you know, he shined in that. And it's just, he's been able to grab more and more trust from Bednar as time's gone on. And he has been with different players. Like, the assist was with Comfort. The the even strength goal was with Jost. And yeah, he and so Jost I, were playing together with random people last night, uh, and you know, I I thought that was a good thing. It, you know, it looked like a demotion for both guys back to a fourth line with Barb's going up to the third. But um, it, it was more like it looked like Bednar wanted that to be a sort of sneaky scoring line with Jost coming off his you know his first goal in forever, and, and Kaut being young and on a good streak as well. And they were putting Nemesnikov and Nuke and even Mac at times with those guys. And, it, you know, you got the feeling they wanted to, you know, use that as a change-up offensive line. And, I, you know, it, it was a, just another role that expanded what Cout's been through so far. And it's it's good to see that he's he's been defensively responsible. He's been good with the puck. I think what he can do on the boards is something the Avs really need because not all of their forwards are the greatest along the boards and being able to keep possession and things like that. And he's created some scoring chances like every single game. And um, yeah, very much so. I mean, even McNabb was impressed with that. You know, I, I remember one of the, the nice chances he had last night. McNabb was saying, you know, that's, you know, that's exactly what Martin Cout needs to keep doing is. You know, keep getting those shots on goal. Keep getting those offensive chances. And I think he's right. I th- I think that's just definitely one of the things that shows you're able to cope with the speed of the game. And so I guess now the question is, what happens next? And he's already played six games. I think he's going to go through the nine games because... They're not going to get a Calvert, Kadri, Miko back in three games, and I think that's when you might look at, like, and I even know so, that- like you'd want to use him in the playoffs as one of your first call ups as well. So it's just, I mean, the chances that he would not be someone they'd want to use between now and and hopefully, you know, four series worth of playoffs. <laughs> I I hope. I hope he does remain at the top of the list and they're done with the Tynan dries crap. That would be my hope. I don't know if I have full expectation, but the longer he plays and if he keeps getting points, it's like, why would you use anyone else? Yeah. If, if he keeps scoring like this, it's really hard to justify pulling him out of the starting lineup, let alone the roster. Yeah. 
and it's, yeah, I, I was looking at the numbers. Like, obviously, like Kamenev is probably behind him at this point. Um, but you're looking like, all right, if four forwards are coming back and they're definitely going to be in the starting lineup, you know, which four guys are you going to be looking at uh, to uh, take a seat? And it's it's tough. Like, I could. It, it's tough to justify keeping him in the lineup because you're starting to bench people like Jost and Nieto for him, and I just I'm not sure that the staff is ready for that. Yeah, and I agree with that. That also assumes that they will just return to full health. Like, yeah, and at they the could same lose time. more. Right, they could lose more guys, or they all aren't ready at the same time. So it's like. Would they consistently play him instead of Kamenev? It really does seem like Bednar's fed up with Kamenev. So that's possible, and then we'll see. But it, he should have at least a few more weeks, which yeah. is cool. The more the more time, the better. I think it'll be great for him, even if he does end up going back down. And like you said, if he really is the true first playoff call-up, that would be such. That would be a huge thing. That would be such a basically a miracle, really. <laughs> well, if you look at it, O'Connor and Cout are pretty much the only call-ups that have looked at home in the NHL this year. And so you'd have to think that that those are the two guys that they would look at as far as sort of their first guys they'd want to bring up, um, because. You know, Magna did not look good at all. Um, Tynan just, you know, he he's he's got some speed, and that's about it. Um, what he's really good at does not translate one bit to the NHL. So it's just sort of like, I don't care that he's scoring, you know, more than a point per game in the AHL. That's just not translating. So why why do you make that call? Right, um, that's his job. That's who's getting paid for. So yeah. And and these two guys have games that that translate from the AHL to the NHL, and that they don't have to modify their games when they come up. And and I think that's something that, you know, again, that the talking that now seems to be open between Cronin and and Bednar is a big help for. I am a bit concerned that it sounds like Bednar hasn't watched at all, which I think that's a little disappointing. I mean, that... why has he got time to watch an AHL game? That that's what they talk about every single damn time. They talk about what a wonderful relationship, and it's so great that Loveland's just up the road and people can go watch. But yet they don't. So somebody, it's, I, I, it's kind of disingenuous to me. I, Do they, I mean, I, I you would be on Billington. Eh, I'm not sure. I believe that. I I don't knock Jared Bednar for not watching the Eagles. I mean. If no, he has I... a spare moment, if he has a spare moment, he should be working harder on the abs. It's, but you know, he well, says he trusts Joe and his staff who will watch him every night. Is what he, what and he that's really a says. Concern that it truly it is. I mean, they did the yeah. right thing here, and they they need to a continue to do the right thing, and b it needs to apply to more than just this one instance. So well, again, I mean, it's very early in. You know, sort of Cronin and Bednar having a relationship here. So, you know, let let's see what it looks like next year. If it's if it's sort of the same thing where, you know, we see a lot of veteran call ups, then you know something's not working still. 
And what do we say to people who are concerned about Martin Cal TLC sliding? I don't. I, I mean, I think they'd like to preserve it. You know, in in, in the biggest part of that is that you'd have Miko and Kadri and Etal back. It's, you know, that would be nice. I, I don't think it's like a huge barrier. I don't think they're going to send them up after, or send them down after nine games just because, like, yeah, you know, we're not going to. Right. I think if they were even worried about that, they would have sent him and not O'Connor. Well, they'd probably send him back now. Yeah. And I guess it's still, it is still possible. Like, I don't want to say they're not going to do it and then it happens two days from now, but. Yeah, him I mean, being you'd, here. You'd think that they'd want to try to preserve some games for a call up later, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. But I, I personally, I don't think it's that important. It's already slid once, so it's already a four year ELC. I think you could get into a five year ELC even being unethical if you want to go down that road. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. And that the, that the ELC, ELC, that the ELC can potentially slide is very anti player. And the, yeah. and the next time the CBA is reworked, I would not be sad to see that mechanism go away. And, and then the five year is just like, I could understand one, but two is a little extreme. And then he's well, not going to turn have it a- around. It's, it, it's almost in the Av's best interest to have it not slide this year, because if it does, think of what Martin Kaut would look in that third year with a slide as opposed to a third year from now, as far as negotiating a new contract. Well, I mean, right. Some teams have figured out that having a yeah. thinner resume when you get to that second contract keeps the price down. Exactly. And and the other thing is that... So they'll have them up for 10 games and send them down. <laughs> <laughs> and his ELC is a... It's a first-round ELC, so it's like the 925 or whatever. So you're not even going to... If you gave him a one-way deal, and it's say like a million or or a million and a half, it's not even going to be that much more. And he is also not going to get a full credit to unrestricted free agency. So you're not giving away a UFA. You're not giving him a year closer to UFA. So the length of control is still the same. It's just all about the ELC. So. Right. I, I just, I really don't see any benefit. The argument that they're going to need the extra money three years from now, they might, but I think just the difference is going to be so minuscule. Plus, the important part is that he's someone you're going to want to have signed in three years. Yeah. If you you're going to be happy he's on the team. If, if you get three years down the road and the, the money differential is that small, you've messed up something else. Yeah, I mean, if he's looking at taking a qualifying offer in three years, and you know something's gone awfully wrong, and then he needs NH the more the more NHL experience he can get now, will go so much further to ensuring that he has value to the team in three years. Or this so during the playoffs, don't worry the, about it. Every game that he plays right now is setting him up. So if they need him during the playoffs at some point. He can come in and, and slide right into the lineup and, and you know do what he's doing right now. So, and it might make a difference. I mean, his three points have all been pretty important. Yeah, they've come in one goal games. And in true in count fashion, their primary points two or even strength. He doesn't get cheap secondary points. No fake points. 
So, so now that we've completely galaxy brained that to uh, sending him down after ten games so that his resume is thinner when it comes contract time, um, the, the last few weeks, but especially this past week, Gabe Landeskog is back? Question mark. Yeah, I think he is, and I think he's been back most of the month, and it's just it. It, it took a while for people to realize it. Or is it just because he looks better than McKinnon? Um, I, did it take him getting separated from McKinnon to to look better? Um, here's my here, here's part of my theory on it, and we don't know exactly what was wrong with Gabe, but it it, it was definitely lower body and something that might have been close to what Miko was going through, and it looked like there was a little bit of a stagger. Like Miko started playing really well again, and then you know I, I forget what the stagger was between when they went out in the fall. But, you know, around the same time, Gabe started playing well again, too. So it just seems like, you know, he finally got healthy, and now he's just sort of back to the same old 60-point pace Gabe. There's also a theory that he got over the fatherhood, you know, bump, as you want to call it. Yeah, that, that's yeah. Evan's theory, that it's been about three months since his child was born. So now he's <laughs> getting his head back in order. The, the, his kid's sleeping through the night, so he's finally ready to play. That, yeah. That's fine. You know, any of those things are you fine. Ne- you never know. But the right? good thing yeah. is that he's actually playing better. Right. You know? <laughs> that's the, that's <laughs> the important part. It, yeah. Unless he's up all night on the phone, I mean, the, 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 the kid sleeping through the night theory doesn't hold a whole lot of water on road trips. Yeah. But I know it. Is it isn't something that like you just you sleep one night and now everything's fine. I know it doesn't work. Yeah, that way, but still. But he he's looking really solid this week. I called his name for some goals. Um, he's he's done more than that too. He's getting back to his old self, and that's really critical timing. It was a really nice play on the Gerard game winning goal. Oh yeah, that was that was some vintage Landeskog there. Yeah. He's. I mean, you know, he has three points in three games, two goals and assists this week. Um, you know, and that's sort of, you know, that that's that's the kind of Landy that, you know, we grew to love last year. Um, you know, it, it, he needs to back it up and keep doing it. But I, I think it's been like most of this month that, or most of February, um. Uh, where he was, he was playing fairly solid, and and just now starting to get the recognition for it. And you said that that might be in uh, in contrast to Nathan McKinnon, who has been merely good. <clears throat> yeah, I, 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 I struggle with what's wrong with Mac because he's doing a lot of the same things, like the missing the empty net. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for anybody who didn't like, catch this in the Nashville game, the Avs are on the power play and they get UC Soros just not even in the net anymore. Nathan McKinnon winds up and fires and he gets about a centimeter of the puck and just kind of duffs it into the slot. Feels bad. <laughs> yeah, and he's obviously very frustrated. Um, you know, when <clears throat> he, he's a pretty streaky guy. Um, All scorers are. So. Yeah, so it's kind of nice that 
maybe we're going through the cold streak now and and get that over with for a little while and then sort of oh towards the end of March maybe heat up um you know it's it's tough to go through a stretch like this for him but um i mean it's not like he's playing badly apart from shooting up high a lot which may or may not be his own decision um apart from that like he's still doing good things he's just not getting rewarded for it yeah he falls into ruts though and i think that's also some of it like he has tried to drive the net a couple times more but he seems to continue to do the same things and i know that's part of it you don't you don't want to overreact you want to play your game but it seems like he limits himself when he gets into these funks and you could say all the players that are out you can't expect him to carry the team and what he did in november what is not something that he's just going to be able to do all the time so i get that but I don't know. He should... He is... It's been a while since he's been the best player on the ice. And for someone that... That's clearly... He should clearly be the best player on the team. It's been a while since we've seen that guy. Yeah, I I think the tough thing is that they don't have a really good offensive-minded coach who can sit down with some film and say, you know, like you're doing this a lot and it's not working and these things that you either used to do a lot or only do a little now they seem to be creating better chances maybe try to focus on you know these positive things you know, i i think he needs some positive reinforcement just to just to show that he is making some good plays i'm just not sure he knows which are the the good plays and which are the bad plays right now cuz it it just seems like he's forcing bad stuff a lot i'd almost like to see him with don Skoy again cuz they were the ones that had some of that chemistry in november wow and you hate don Skoy. i don't hate don Skoy. <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't say he's a top 6 guy <laughs> slam dunk but i've always said that he's versatile and you can play him anywhere and mckinnon needs a spark or something like if you've got to try it right yeah and they have been obviously yeah because they went through a lot of partners on that right wing side this week you know berkey was in there they've tried nemestikov they've tried nachushkin and it's I, I I'm not sure yeah comfort I'm not sure any of those guys are really making a difference in in what's going on as far as what Mac's doing so and and maybe Bednar needs Don Skoy for the quote unquote second line yeah and he has that been that could be part know, of it he's been pretty good and I thought it was interesting I just as a side note that Don Skoy was not on the power play I think against Carolina he was not on either unit. yeah Don Skoy well, we'll we'll get to Don Skoy um. And instead of that, can we focus on one of McKinnon's other rotating line mates this week in, you know, FNG, Vladimir Nemesnikov? I it's like been, it. It's been interesting. I didn't love him in Carolina, but that was a tough game for everybody. And plus, like I've always said, it's hard for me to reconcile TV viewing and live viewing because you see so many different things. So you tend to see more flaws or in one or the other, but um, 
he does seem like a versatile guy, and I like that they're trying him in a lot of different spots, but you do hope they kind of figure something out to so he can get a little bit of familiarity and consistency. But it seems like he does a lot of good things. I like how he knows how to go to the net, and I, I think that's helped a couple times. He was... What was he? The scre- He screened... I think that was on Sam's... Is that Sam's goal? I... I can't remember which goal, but the one where he was, oh, it could have almost been goaltender interference, but he knew how to stop, like, right on the crease. <laughs> Unlike yeah. certain predators we could mention. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, maybe that was the Landeskog goal last night in the Nashville game. There's been so many games lately, so, pardon me. Yeah, and he, but, gets, um, he gets a secondary assist on Cout's second goal as well, with doing, like, doing some good work digging the puck out of the corner to find Landeskog, who could then stall with it. Yeah, so or no, no, that's the Sam goal. What am I talking about? Yeah, yeah, that one. Um, but anyway, he's he he is doing good things out there. I I was a little bit worried about his speed because he did look slow in Ottawa, but it hasn't been a problem with the Avs, so that's good. He yeah, seems fast he, enough to keep up. I, I, I think what I've seen fast. is that. Yeah, he's I was going to say he. Yeah, he plays and he thinks fast, and that's that's kind of the key. Like, I mean, you don't have to have incredible foot speed, um, to you know, to to look fast out there. You know, like someone was saying that you know, Cout's first step is really awful or something like that, and it's just not something I've noticed since he's been up. I um, I still think if he's going to work on anything, it's probably that. But yeah, but it's not hindering his game much. But and right, I, I, I he think... can play fast. He can he he has good hockey IQ and he can Yeah, he looks quicker in the NHL. And I think that really helps guys that are smarter and can read the play. They it's like they can accomplish more when there's more going on. Like he's around the puck so much more than he's in the AHL because because plays are being made that he can make. Yeah. But anyway, that, that applies to Nemesnikov, too, because it's it, it's not always about being fast if you can't also play fast. If it was if, if it was just about being fast, then Michael Grabner would be an MVP, right? Yeah, or Logan O'Connor would be on the top line. You know, Right, I, he's an example of go fast, maybe don't think fast. <laughs> right. Right, and, and he just doesn't have the experience that Nemesnikov does. And, and I think that's... You know, like you said, they've tried him in a, a variety of roles, and I thought it was pretty hilarious they didn't even have him on the PK, I think, until last night. Yeah, he was billed as a penalty killer. Where exactly. <laughs> He's the penalty killer that doesn't kill penalties. Um, you know, they, they are trying a bunch of new things on the penalty kill. Like, like Jost and Comfer have been some of their top penalty killers in, over the last few games, and that's weird and, and out of you know that that's not what what it's been like all season. It's good to see so, Jost there, Comfort and Lester. Yeah, I am very curious to see where this Jost Renaissance leads because I've said it a bunch of times. He needs a role. Like he can't just go back to being a fourth liner. Which, if they do ever get fully healthy, maybe that's the only spot for him. But it, well, at least a fourth liner that penalty kills is, you know, that's something that something you can more, hang your hat yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, when he was playing fourth line and not getting any special teams time, you're just like, you know, that's the dude on the team that's just there because they, they needed a warm body. Yeah, um, spare part is not a role. Right. <clears throat> so, but going back to Nemestikov, I think that he can be 
um, a good penalty killer. Like he's looked a little bit lost defensively, and I, you know, you'd think that would happen to just about anyone coming over in the middle of the season. Yeah, totally. Um, but his instincts are good, and it, it just seems like as as time goes on, he's going to be able to integrate himself with the Avs defense and, and penalty kill schemes, and, and be pretty effective. But this time, it's a little tough to say where he should eventually shake out. Like second line, third line. Probably somewhere Definitely in there. Definitely not second line. I'd, I'd say third line. <laughs> yeah. The other new Avs addition we did not see this week, even though there was a back-to-back. We saw him on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's getting game checks. It's just they obviously... <laughs> like, like, they went and got a, a goaltending warm body because they didn't want to play Hunter Miska. But they don't want to play this one either. I don't know. When I saw this schedule here, I was like, they're going to play Frank in the back-to-back and then give Detroit to Hutchinson and, and see how it goes. I mean, I, I think that's a pretty fair thing to do as far as when you have an opportunity to play a team like Detroit coming up pretty quick, that's when you throw the new guy in there and, and just sort of see what happens. And, you know, if, if it goes well, then, you know, maybe next weekend's back-to-back, they'd you know they they go with him in in that as well, but you know I, I think it's nice to be able to play a, a team where you can make up for some flaws as a first game. I think that's a pretty sound strategy. So if that happens, that's probably good thinking. But I don't know. Bender likes to ride the hot hand. He likes to when Frankie's rolling. He, I mean, if if making forty five saves isn't enough to make you rest him on a back-to-back are you at are they ever and <laughs> as much as the detroit one looks like a freebie you still absolutely have to get the two points there and i just i, I think the thing is it, i don't think they worry about back-to-backs as much as just volume of games i i think they want to try to get frank some rest in some games and it just looks a lot easier to get him some rest against detroit and if you think about it all right you know, he'll have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off before another game. So Yeah, I don't disagree. If that's what ends up happening, I'm totally on board. I just Bedner really likes to to roll he he loves to just roll his lineup, his goalies. Yeah. No, he'd he play wants, the same thing wants, every night if he could. Yeah, he just wants to set it. <laughs> well, especially if you're winning. Especially if they're winning, he just want he wants to play the same guy. Yeah, you're losing. Just play the same guys, you know. Just should have worked play last the same time. Just better. But going back to the question of why did you even get him? It's what I said on the podcast after the deadline. Is they just wanted a blankie. They just wanted this this thought in their mind that oh, okay, now we have an NHL extra guy. Like I don't even want to call him the backup or the third goalie. Backup, backup. He's just basically like the the extra guy and they they just he has nhl experience it's just it's so much more of a soothing thought i mean regardless or not if they actually want to use him i would be freaking out if we had to play hunter misk in the game oh other than than mop up duty i don't hate Uh, i i know but i just i I would not want to start hunter misk in a game against detroit or anyone really for the numbers that he's put up in the AHL, I I just I I look at him playing goal in the AHL, and I'm just like that. 
that shit does not work in the NHL. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get to stars and scratches, um, I would definitely like to let y'all expand on a couple of your favorite non-Avalanche players. Future Avalanche players. Yes. Definitely future Avalanche players now that they haven't been traded at the deadline. Right. I've, I've been hearing some really good things the last <laughs> several weeks about one Bowen Byram. What's what's up with him and his scoring? Uh, yes, he is on a 13-game point streak. If I believe it is now 27 points, 8 goals. Um... He's uh, he's playing like people expected him to, considering how he finished the year last year and coming back from the World Juniors with confidence and with that put out of his kind of so something he had to do and he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. I so thought what changed he, though. Um. Well, I was gonna say I don't think he played as poor as maybe. Some people would say that he wasn't putting up the numbers, that that means he was having a bad season. I, the, ch the team has changed a lot. The, they moved around a bunch of different players. They didn't bring back the same team from last year. They made some trades, and he was at World Juniors, came back, and it all came together. Byram's a very much a glue guy, so they finally had the right mix, and then add him to it. The team started winning, the forwards started scoring, the power play started working, and um, I think the team has won like 13 of, or 12 of the last 13, something like that, or somewhere like that. And um, so the I whole mean, team's it, been is, on a roll. Is his role or the way he plays different now than it was before? The, no, he's, the he's always been the man. He's, yeah. he's, he's the heart and soul, he's the star, he's the one that drives play. Uh, he runs a lot on confidence, so he was shooting under 4% before the streak started, so I think he was frustrated. Look out, that Sam Gerrard! <laughs> <laughs> that he wasn't scoring goals, and then lo and behold, now he scored 8 goals in like the last um, 13 games, so that's, that's a big difference there. He just, he's an emotional guy too, and um, he loves physical play. He loves getting fired up. He loves winning. So uh, just put all that together and he can do his thing. He loves to skate, skate around with the puck, create, jump into the rush, stuff like that. So he's just doing all the Byram type things. And I'm glad that he has the production so that people understand that he is that special of a player. I don't think that he ever wasn't doing that before. It's just it wasn't as reflected on the scoreboard. And he probably was losing a little confidence. Plus, also heard he was dealing with a couple minor injuries. So that doesn't help either. But um, I I think he's showing he's, he's going to be ready for the NHL next year. And maybe a few games in the AHL at the end of this year if things work out. And that should be his next stop. So I'm glad to hear that he's scoring goals, um, but I want to hear more about goal scoring. So who can tell me about Alex Newhook? Yeah, Alex Newhook is tied for the lead in freshman scoring in the NCAA, and he's now taken the lead in overall points. Um, he's he's really having a good year. Um, I, I think this is beyond all our expectations. I, mean, I think when you send a, a guy from the the junior A leagues up to the NCAA, uh, 
it's a tough transition because you're going from playing against kids to men. So, you know, there's usually a little bit of a a phase in period, like we saw with Makar at UMass, and it was very short for Newhook at the beginning of the season. He started slow for maybe five games, but it's been on fire lately. Um, he's now up to 40 points in 32 games, and he's on a line with two other freshmen. And I, I think it's great. I hearken back to this article that someone wrote about how the seniors were really leading BC's comeback into relevance in the Hockey East and things like that. But um, since he got put together with Matt Boldy, um, who was drafted by Minnesota quite a bit higher, um, Boldy has been on fire. And there were the third freshman who's undrafted, Mike Hardman, who's been with Newhook before. And it's it it's a really impressive line of three freshmen, um, and they're really driving the scoring for Boston College and and where they're going. But this is leading to a lot of people saying like, you know, should we sign him after this year? And as good as he's playing, I'm still I'm still no. Um, I have to agree. I think yeah, I I, I he's going to be a Hobie Baker con- candidate next year. Um, they're going to be returning. I don't know about how Minnesota is going to feel about signing Boldy. Um, they probably shouldn't. Um, they might though, just because their situation. But you know, Hardman will be back. They they have a, a fairly good stable of young guys. Um, so it's going to be a good team again. It's going to be a good situation. And he's you know he's going to be the leader on the team as far as driving the offense. And, you know, everyone's knock on him is that he needs to learn defense. It's another year for that. So I, I think his game is going to be a, a whole lot polished after his sophomore season than it, than it will be after this one. So, you know, as good as he looks now, don't get your hopes up that he's going to be playing for the Avalanche next year. Uh, just because there really isn't a good role for him. Um, it's It's just not a good fit right now. But just know that it's a great thing he didn't get traded and that the Avs still have him because he's looking pretty special. Yeah, for sure. And I was one of those that also wasn't sure he'd have a huge year this year. I thought he definitely had the talent that maybe he could do it next year. And I agree. I wouldn't sign him unless the Avs know exactly what they're going to do with him, where they're going to put him in the lineup. If it's just like, oh, well, you could probably go to the AHL then don't. Don't do it. Yeah, like if they trade Kadri and, and they're like, okay, we're going to put Newhook at second line center and see how it goes. <laughs> I, I mean, I I love the ballsiness of the idea, but it's probably not, a, you know, that's not the right move. Like, that might be the right move after next season, but... Um, Imagine the hindsight yeah. on a move like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting to note the chemistry he's found with Boldy and uh, he was doing well way before it. When he got uh, moved to centering, I guess you'd say, quote unquote, the third line, if it really was or wasn't. But that's when he started to take off and he was at least scoring a point every game. And then they reunited him with Boldy with Newhook as the center. And that's yeah, I think that's started- kind of funny that it started out with, with Boldy as the center and Newhook on his wing <laughs> and it didn't work. And, and Boldy still struggled for. You know, most of the season until a few weeks ago, <clears throat> and then they come up with Newhook as the center and, and Boldy on the wing, and that really works well. Right, and so 
at this point, I think their chemistry is helping, but obviously New Hook was, was on his way prior to that. And just, just to note the significance of the 40 points, I think only 12 freshmen have ever scored 40 or more points, and that list is like Eichel and Gaudreau and some Larkin, some of the big, big names you see. So now that they're going to play, probably have a deep season where they go far in the NCAA tournament. You know, if New York pushes 50 points, that could be a historic season. Yeah. And I, another good thing to look at is he scores a lot at five on five. And this is not like jacked up by a lot of power play points. So this is, you know, this is real five-on-five five scoring we're seeing as well as being able to play on the power play. And he also leads freshmen in shorthanded goals with three. So he's got a well-rounded game. Well, maybe the Avs have found the draft inefficiency with uh, junior A players who are headed to college in Boston or in Massachusetts <laughs> yeah. generally. Oh, yeah, and he's leading a uh, freshman in plus-minus with 27, too. Oh, well, so that's... He might catch Graves. <laughs> maybe maybe we should sign him. Uh, let's do stars and scratches. I'll, I'll jump on one of the default stars with Martin Kaut, and we've already explained that. And mine was going to be Landy, and we've talked about him. Well, that, that puts you on the spot. I would say Frank. Frank, Frank deserves a star. He's You're not going to say Sam? What are you nuts? I know. Well, the goal was fabulous, and he's always good, but has it been his best week in general? Probably not. Even though he's Carolina was very good, but yeah, he's always a star in my heart, so (laughs) that's my default. (laughs) Oh, we can give it to Frank, and because he's you know been extremely solid, and then let the honorary mention go to Sam. I think that's good. (laughs) Yeah. So more on the scratchy side. I'm going to lead scratches with Jonas Donskoy um, because with as much of a hit as the Avalanche top talent has taken, this is where you would expect kind of the middling forwards to step in and really contribute. And we haven't, not only have we not seen numbers emerge for Jonas Donskoy, his game is like very chaotic and I haven't, I can't really say I've noticed him much. Which, I, I think that's fair. I, I thought he had a couple good games this week, and I, I, what I'm not sure about is, you know, he he was playing better after coming back from the concussion and, and sort of transitioning back into the game from there, but th- there definitely has been a little bit of a tail off, and it, 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 I, I thought it was weird when he wasn't on either power play unit, I guess it was in the Carolina game, so... You know, what's the dynamic there between he and the coaching staff? You know, what are they not seeing from him that they want to? Um, you know, either way, it's, it, you know, you're right. It, it's not a great thing. And, I mean, you, you want to say it may just be production, but they've they've been using Tyson Jost in the power play all season, so probably not that. I'll say my scratch is probably a low-hanging one, but Kamenev, he has not had a good week. Poor no. guy. But <laughs> it hasn't yeah. been pretty. Injury and, question and he, mark aside, he was already struggling. Well, I, I mean, he was doing, he does good things out there, and then he does bad things, and it, I, I just think that he, playing like that, he's not going to earn much trust, and that's, you know, that that's going to be ultimately his downfall. And it's too bad because I do like his game, and like you said, he'll make a really nice move, and you're like, ooh, and then 
he'll like turn it over and it's just like oh geez so you're saying yeah. he's got a decent good stuff to bad stuff ratio there's just too much stuff yeah yeah and Where, it's it's, the Tyson... it's some of the bad stuff that he needs to eliminate and yeah. it's just it's not happening whereas maybe and... maybe a player like tyson jost has a similar good stuff to bad stuff ratio but very little stuff right yeah cam has a very high stuff event <laughs> ratio stuff for 60 yeah <laughs> I like this. We, we've never considered, like, we've talked about the good shit to bad shit ratio, but we've never talked about the actual stuff rate before. Yeah. That's an important dynamic that we should definitely be considering. Who do you have around? Yeah. That's tough, because it... <clears throat> it's hard. They, they won every game this week, yeah, right? They, so right. They nobody... got six, six points exactly as predicted. <laughs> <laughs> um... I, I kind of want to say Zadorov, um, but we, we you know we kind of went into why that's the case last week, and it, it you know that feels low hanging too. It's it's sad when you see he played thirteen minutes and Graves played twenty two minutes. It's Ooh, just thirteen. I think I think that was what it was in Nashville. I could be wrong, but yeah, and it's just they they're not using. They're not using him in a role that suits him, and it's just that it it doesn't seem like the team is doing him any favors, and he's not doing the team any favors anymore. And somebody you know, we heard rumors job. he was going to be traded, and and that never happened. And you know maybe that's something that that they really should have done at the deadline and, and didn't get done. We need somebody to break his face so he can put that mask back on again <laughs> and go back to being the Terminator. Yeah. And if one D goes down, I bet he his minutes go way up, and and they're gonna be glad they have him. It's just, it just is what it is at this point. Yeah. Coming up next week, we have an awkwardly timed show again. We'll be recording on a game day, but that game is at ten Eastern. So the road trip. I will not be watching that one. <laughs> not live. <laughs> live. <laughs> it's gonna be tough for you to catch it the next day too, because bad news. The road trip They're playing again. Yeah, the road trip <laughs> continues on Monday, likely today for you, the listener, in Detroit against a team that may not reach the Avs low watermark of 48 points this season. That's a 5.30 mountain start, and it's on NHL Network in addition to the locals. Then on Wednesday, Colorado basically travels to Denver for a home game against the stupid Anaheim Ducks, 7.30 mountain on NBC Sportsnet. Finally for us, on Friday, they'll be in Vancouver for an 8 o'clock mountain start against the Canucks on Altitude. The road trip Call does, showdown. Yeah, the road trip does continue with one game or with game one of a back to back Sunday in San Jose, and then concludes with game two on Monday in LA. That's a completely unreasonable ten thirty Eastern start on a Monday. Get over yourselves. And it's eight <laughs> games. Ten o'clock Sunday is worse than ten thirty Monday. I think I, that thirty. <laughs> well, it, for one, that thirty hurts, and for two, it's in yeah. LA, which means you know it's not going to start on time. Yeah. It's going to be another after-hours special. So it's eight games in 13 days because the NHL scheduler is an asshole. Anyway, that's the last back-to-back of the year, but we are just looking at the first three. Detroit, Anaheim at home, which is basically a road game in Denver, and Vancouver. Who yeah, do we got? What's up with the one-game homestands? It's the second week in a row we've had one. Those are so, so bad. Well, I yeah. mean, the, the first one... <laughs> 
the first one was Buffalo, and that was after a three-day break, so they could actually yeah. come home. Um, yeah. Like, if anything, they kind of had, like, a, a weekend getaway more than anything else, and then came back yeah. to finish off a homestand. This one is bogus. Because <laughs> yeah. they'll travel to Detroit today, play tomorrow, they'll go, they'll travel home probably that night, play Wednesday, and then leave again on Thursday. Yeah, it's, it's just... It's just another stop on a road trip. I I don't want to do it, but it's almost like how many injuries <laughs> per week at this point. Oh, God. It's like points. W- will the points surpass injuries? Let's I, hope. I sure hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so um, They should be able to take care of business this week. I mean, you, you have to beat Detroit. I know they're on a streak and they're due and blah, blah, blah. But it, it's Detroit. You, you just... There's no excuses for that one. Just play competent hockey long enough to get the two points, please. And then Anaheim is one of those bad teams that's harder than it should be, but that's probably the trap game of the week, if we're being honest. Because like you said, it's that fake home game where they're not really at home. And then... The Avs are very good on the road, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's why it'll get them. And then the <laughs> Vancouver one will be interesting because that'll be the, the Calder death match. Um, they played Vancouver well the first time. Even Bebo got a win. Yeah. And... If, Anton Be- if Antoine Bebo can beat you, then you can be beaten anytime. <laughs> <laughs> but Vancouver does have firepower and Dabs might need to find some goals to win that game. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the tough game of the week for me. I I think Anaheim will be unwatchable, but they'll pull it out again somehow. They'll beat Detroit, of course, even if Hutchinson starts. <clears throat> but the the really? Vancouver game, I, I think it's important because again, it's you know it's one of those games that, that Ryan Clark likes, where you play a good team instead of a bad one. <laughs> and <laughs> it took me a you, second. You know, it, <laughs> Carolina, Carolina's a good team. I mean, geez. That, yeah, no, that was that was the good team they played this week. Um, but you know, it's like playing all these bad teams. They should probably try and do something more than they're doing about this. Um, but you know, that that's the interesting game of the week, and I, I think it's something that it's the toughest to prepare for because you know, again, when you are playing somewhat weaker teams, you can defend them to death and, and sort of take what the game gives you, but I think they're going to have to be a little bit more active to beat the Canucks, and and you know I'm not sure how they're going to do that. So you know, it, it'll be a good watch. I'll go with four points. I think yeah. the Anaheim game is going to be the stinker, but I'm going to agree with 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 Jackie on this one. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, that that the Avalanche are really bad in their first home game after a long road trip. We've seen that many many times this season. Anaheim play a style that it doesn't matter if they're any good or not. It gives the Avs fits. And uh, they're just really banged up. So put all that together and you get an unwatchable loss at home that makes everybody really mad. (laughs) (laughs) And it's on national TV. So we get get to get rid of while listening to Pierre. Yay. (laughs) Um, Anyway. (laughs) They didn't get Pierre last time they were national, so maybe they won't this time. That'd be a, think, that'd be nice. 
And you know, they I tend think... to like John Forslund and Brian Boucher for their games a lot. Well, Pierre really likes coming to Denver to do Avalanche games. He has yeah, said maybe so. John very Martineau openly. asked him not to come anymore. Or asked NBC not to send him here anymore. I don't know. Well, they've they've they're not sending Jeremy Roenick. That's for sure. I think after his comments about the airport, that the city of Denver is just kind of like, nah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to have to go look that up. But we don't. We're, we're completely out of time, and I need to get out of the house and go across the street. So whether you have, you have CP Air on Wednesday or not, you know you can find out here. Here You can get the show on SoundCloud or on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts or on the Google Play Store. Um, you can also just find it posted on burgundyreview.com where you can find all kinds of cool stuff. Join us on the Discord and and talk rubbish all day long. Keep your head up, get in the dirty areas, and we will see you next week before the San Jose game. Okay. Other than that, I don't think there's a super specific topic we have to hit. Hey, Google. Lights on. <laughs> Light color pumpkin. What? Yeah, what? <laughs> it's an orange. You know, it's, it's mellow. Your lights have colors. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, what are the options? I, I think they might be infinite, but there's 51 presets or something like that.